Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. We're over 100 episodes. We're having living the dream, having a lot of fun. About a year ago, I interviewed Eric Helpenstell, a former classmate of mine at Georgetown University. Uh, he is obviously an expert in so many different areas, but a, a lot of it focuses on his fire and oil responses. And so that's what we talked to him about. So he introduced me to an amazing guy about three months ago, David Mejia. And uh, he said, hey, you got to get him on the show. He's a, he's a lot to offer. I was really impressed by him. And so we wanted to bring him on to the show. David, welcome to the Disaster Tough Podcast. Hey, John. Pleasure to be a part of the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we're happy to be a part of it. Let's uh, yeah, of course, let's just dive right in because uh, you have an area of passion that I have a, a big passion about. And it's disaster analytics. And uh, for the sake of our audience, you know, we have a lot of people who have differing opinions about analytics and what it can do, what it can't do for them. But I think there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lack of situational awareness of what it is and what it can do. And so maybe you can start off by providing a perspective of like straight up out of the gate. What's the pitch for disaster analytics? Why should we why should that be the future of emergency management? Yeah, so for me, the way I look at disaster analytics, it's sort of, you know, it, it helps provide me that 60 to 80% roadmap that helps uh, decision makers, you know, whether it be our planning chiefs, ops chiefs, or incident commander, you know, for me, that's where the disaster analytics comes into play. It, it helps, you know, not only rely off of our gut instinct, which as emergency managers, we're fairly good at sometimes, mm. um, but it really helps provide that scope and nature of where things are at today, where things are going to be going, and then how we can utilize all that information during the re disaster recovery process going forward. So I think the, the, the way the, and the role that analytics plays is just phenomenal in terms of just road mapping and future planning. Yeah, I like the idea of road mapping, especially when you talk about recovery, because a lot of the times, and, and even I do this, we talk about the enhanced situational awareness you can gain from analytics. But when you're talking about recovery, if you're pulling in all that data now, it really does allow you to get well ahead of the curve of what you thought was possible so that you can see cascading impacts. So mm -hmm. you can look at population density, people returning possibly, and creating like an organization around an efficiency around all phases of the disaster response, including that recovery piece. So, uh, way to way to set it up just here in the beginning. Um, I know that you have mentioned, in fact, briefly right before we start recording, you mentioned a few uh, states that have been starting to focus on this. Can you just give some perspective of like the trend that is starting to happen around the field of emergency management? Yeah, so I'll do it in terms of phases of my response operations and how um, one I've seen it evolve over the past couple of years. Um, so for me, when I started at Campfire Debris Removal Operations, I was serving as the resource unit leader and the demobilization unit leader. And so for me, in my role as the team lead, you know, analytics and that data really helped process items for the mobilization process that we we're doing for Campfire when we were mobilizing new staff and new debris crews, as well as during the demobilization phase when we're offboarding not only specific staff on their on their phases, but also the overall demobilization of 
the operation it, itself and transitioning into uh, normalcy. So for us back at Campfire, we were very much MacGyvering all these different Google Sheets that we had at our disposal. We had a Google Sheet that tracked staff and mobilization procedures. Mm -hmm. We had a Google Sheet that tracked our runway for debris ops. So very much like, you know, I smile about it because for me, those were some great times of like, just like, oh my gosh, this code doesn't work or this isn't, this isn't working the way I thought it was going to work. Mm. But, you know, luckily I had a great team behind me and I had a great um, planning section chief and deputy plans chief that really supported um, our unit as well as the overall planning section. And so that's where, you know, I started at first within Campfire was in just using Google Sheets. <laughs> And then fast forward to March of 2020, I deployed to New York City to support COVID-19 response operations. And there I was at the Get Food New York City program, where I served mm -hmm. as the deputy plans chief. Within uh, NISOM, for that operation in itself, we were integrating and creating the city's own Uber Eats program, utilizing uh, software that track deliveries, track food throughput at our food distribution sites. So one, evolving from the Google Sheets to an actual software system. Okay, that, that makes me feel so much better, by the way. I'm just a quick caveat because I'm glad when you were like analytics and you're talking about Google Sheets, I was like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So you're starting to get into software. Yeah, so sorry to interrupt. Please continue. No, no, no worries. Yeah. Uh, so yes, we're, we're at nice. I'm in. We're looking at a whole new scope, a whole new software that supports our operation where I can just look at a dashboard and see, okay, I have X amount of staff at this site um, and they come from these other city agency personnel and here's my management team. And then mm -hmm. here's how many deliveries that they're expected to make. And here's how many drivers that are expected to come into the food distribution site. So going from that, uh, from the Google Sheets to this software platform that we're using to, to create the cities on Uber, Uber Eats system was astronomical and phenomenal and something I never would have thought, you know, mm -hmm. that intersection of emergency management and, and technology, I, I would have never thought that could ever have happened. But due to, you know, the unprecedented times of COVID-19, you know, we, we as emergency managers, we have to be flexible and we have to create, have innovative solutions. And, you know, I was, I was just blown away because I still am surprised, you know, that stuff like that doesn't happen, especially that quick within mm. a response operation. So that was that was phenomenal to see. And then going towards the, and then I deployed to the Florida Division of Emergency Management in January of 2021. And there I got to see the component of merging the recovery side of operations within response and seeing how that plays into it. And this is where my heart goes out to the finance section. Um, <laughs> I've never worked the finance section. I've never touched uh, or reviewed an invoice or proof of payment in my life at that time. Mm. But seeing them like work hard during response and understand we need this documentation for these specific reasons, and and then you know understanding, okay, what's the next technology capability that mm. that Florida is using? And so they were utilizing Salesforce. And they had all these different modules. So they had one module specific towards vaccine management, distribution, and sort of the same thing back in New York City, understanding throughput of these vaccination sites. How many staff do we have on site? Who's leading and who's assisting? And where is the site? Mm -hmm. And then 
the other uh, necessary vaccine reporting numbers. So utilizing that Salesforce response component and merging it with the recovery uh, dashboard and seeing the finance section just really work hard to, to really be integrated within response was just uh, was phenomenal as well. So yeah. getting, getting to see where the where emergency management is going, where it is now and where it's going to be is, is just super exciting for me. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue in collapsed and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. The Readiness Lab is trailblazing disaster readiness. Early access for the highly anticipated course, Emergency Management Response for Dynamic Populations is currently live. Think you have what it takes? Join us in Atlanta for an immersive experience. Space is limited to 40. Go to thereadinesslab.com forward slash training to learn more. Okay, let's jump back in. This is an interesting uh, the discussion, or at least the beginning of a discussion, because um, we've had Jason Craddleville on the show a couple times. He's the uh, former, now former, um, acting um, uh, acting director of State University of New York, Albany. Mm-hmm. He's a genius, really. And um, the way he has looked at analytics has been um, from uh, using quantum analytics to predict future events. And I've looked at analytics through, again, more like, because most of my experience is in response, mm-hmm. uh, planning and response. And so I look at analytics through like geospatial intelligence and uh, situation gathering for decision making. And what you're talking about, this is just as another aspect of like what technology can do. Really what you're talking about is going back to that re- resource unit leader perspective or the almost like the logistics of a disaster. And I'm not talking about the logistics section, but I'm talking about logistics as in like the, the definition of logistics. And, um, you know, it, it shows that whether you're looking at weather data and predictive analysis uh, through the planning phase or you're in a response phase and you're trying to get situational awareness so you can understand like what you need to do in terms of the, the event itself, the disaster event, or you're looking at people, resources, time, and money, which is all scarce resources. It shows that like, all these pieces uh, play together. And quite frankly, when you start to streamline a lot of those things, you know, if you're pre-disaster, in-disaster, after-disaster, whatever it may be, there's there's a technology and, a, and an analytics approach that can make your life easier, right? Right? Like that's the true purpose of getting this stuff is to make your life easier. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Oh, 100%. But that doesn't go to, to say as well that although I love the technology and I love where it's going, uh, we should also be just a slight bit hesitant towards really approaching technology and like making it our life because there is a time where we do have to understand that the technology will fail or Mm. or our stream might fail. And, you know, where we're going to have to revert back to the basics of, you know, we're all filling out the the 214s or we're having our chiefs do it for us because we just don't want to do it. Or, you know, having to fill out the 213 RRs, you know, you know, just 
one, you know, exercising the basics within emergency management. So just so we have that foundation, mm. um, but also looking at new and different ways that we can implement technology. So I, I am a very big um, ally towards technology and emergency management, but I also do want to say, you know, let's hold back off a little bit on certain things and make sure that our teams and the personnel of emergency management staff do have that basics of just how to fill out uh, a 214, 213, you know, the 221s and the 211s. And See, oh man, this is probably where we're going to uh, diverge quite a bit here because <laughs> I feel like uh, emergency managers are hesitant of technology. I also feel like they have no idea yeah. like w how much more technology is out there. I have been to disasters fairly recently where someone will hand me a handwritten document where of all the houses that they visited that they thought were, you know, impacted by, you know, during a preliminary damage assessment. And I'm looking at their like handwritten notes and I'm like, you were given an iPad. He's like, well, I didn't know how to use it. Like, that's not what, what I, what I'm talking about when I talk about technology, because that, that level of understanding is so incredibly basic. And I, honestly, like what we're doing now, even in emergency management is so far and below like our, counterparts uh whether it's um you know fema is you know we go back and forth on drones all the time on this podcast because i started the drone program at fema but then they out outsourced it and so like the quality went down again yeah but we have counterparts um who uh like firefighter agencies or uh department of agriculture or the fbi they're all using drones mm -hmm. but we get one drone we're like uh oh let's if the drone goes down what are we going to do I, what I think is like, a, honestly, more, more of like kind of a mixed bag of what you're saying is, yes, we 100% we need to have that backup. We're the emergency manager. We better know what the backup is. <laughs> yeah. However, however, I think we need to we need to keep pushing. I don't think we've gotten to the limit yet. And quite frankly, uh, the power does go out fairly often in a disaster. And I get that. But like EMPs don't. And so an inconvenience for a few hours of having to handwrite things is totally different than completely losing a capability. Yeah. Now, I will say that uh, we talk a lot about um, like cybersecurity and cloud storage and uh, people manipulating data or losing data. And that's scary stuff. And so um, I, I would think that probably, probably the best answer that I can come up with, at least personally, is to say no, no technology's place. You shouldn't use technology to take out like your process, but you should understand like it's an additional tool. And if you lose a tool, then you have all these other tools, right? But if you have additional tool, then you can possibly, you know, jump in. And so, uh, I, I guess I, I guess I kind of agreeing, but I'm kind of disagreeing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you no, take no, no. no I, I, and I see the point where you're coming from. You know, it's. You know, and I agree too with you as well. You know, technology shouldn't be that one stop. Uh, with yeah, it's not one. Yeah, you still have to have people yeah. do the work, right? Yeah. You still need to have you know the the damage assessment teams. You know, go down with you know their iPad or their piece of paper, mm. um, or even heck, even like a, a stack of ROE sometimes, so that they can fill them that they can hand them to survivors of a of a disaster. So. I think, yeah, there is always going to be that paper process. And, you know, and to allude to the point that you said previously about emergency managers being hesitant towards technology, because there's just 
no set way or there's no set goal in how they're going to implement that that software. So I think, you know, it's a mix of we just can't be scared and we just have to jump in, but we also have to do it in a very strategic way of here's the sort of the softwares that we want and here's the capabilities that we need. And so just kind of just choosing which software you think best fits your needs um, to implement within your your emergency management agency goes, I think goes hand in hand with that implementation planning. Yeah, I like how you say don't be scared, but be, uh, you know, take strategic, uh, take the strategic outlook. What I like to say is um, like emergency managers understand the purpose of a risk assessment for hazards, mm-hmm. but they often, now I, I'm probably going to get pushback from my own audience here, but what I've seen is a lot of uh, gut reaction to different either technologies or new capabilities, whether it's a technology or otherwise. And they make a gut check without actually doing the research of like what they would normally do for a risk assessment. And so I would say just if you're looking at implementing uh, technologies or new process, whatever it may be, don't be scared, but be, be strategic. Look at all the information surrounding it. Look at the pros and cons, what it provides you, what the, the, you know, the, the lack of uh, requires you to do. My thing is in a response, and like, if we can get people safe faster, win. If we can get first responders out of harm's way, it's a win. And so like that, that window of opportunity is so small. And what I, what I like to say about Rodney Melsick, who's, uh, I'm a big fan of his, but he also pushes back on technology all the time. And, and for good reason. And you've brought up some of those good reasons. Um, he's... You know, he says, like, once you get behind the curve, you never get in front of the curve again. Like, once you become get behind the ball. And I agree with that. I That's been my experience 100% in a response. Like, COVID, COVID's a great example. Two-year thing was once we got behind, guess what? We never got ahead of it. So, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a really good problem set to look at. In terms of your experiences, now, you, you mentioned three different... Um, whether fires, whether the fire or working with COVID in New York or moving down to uh, vaccination sites in Florida, three different agencies, let's just say, that look at this. How would you go about like saying, okay, someone's brought up either a new process or a new technology. How would you go about vetting that to make sure that you're strategic in, in your implementation? Yeah, so for me, the way I look at it, and I think Florida, the Florida Division of Emergency Management really did a phenomenal job with the implementation of their Salesforce Mm. uh, dashboards, as well as their modules into the section. So when I was a deputy plans chief at the, under the state-based community vaccination branch over at FDEM. Mm. um, So the way I looked at it, when they were telling us, okay, let's start using Salesforce, I thought to myself, okay, uh, how is this going to affect my teams? How am I going to train my teams? Who am I going to utilize to help train my team? So I'm starting to think about the teams and what the team's perspective. Um, and so that's usually what I always fall back on. What do, what will the teams think and how will the teams respond to this? Um, I love that. Start asking questions, like effective questions, like, right? Like you just mentioned the what, like what is Salesforce essentially? You mentioned the who. And you mentioned how, and I would say your who kind of pairs with your why, like why is this good for my team? So like, you know, your what, your why, and your how are probably really good places to start in terms of somebody has a, an, has an idea uh, that they want to present you, right? Yeah. 
because you know at the end of the day it's the it's the teams that are going to be filling out the surveys and these forms it's up to my job to make sure that they're trained and they're filling it out properly because mm -hmm. when i'm looking at you know the dashboards or if we have um you know the state emergency response team the overall planning section team or their ops team asking for metrics and data you know we can accurate i want to provide the most accurate and up-to-date metrics that i possibly can and so i think you know coming it coming at it from a team's perspective and a, mm -hmm. from a field perspective which i'm very glad i have coming from campfire where i was you know one yeah. of the where i was um in the incident and disaster zone and working with you know people like eric you know i'm glad i had that foundation of understanding okay this is what the teams might think of and this is what um they're gonna do and at one point, I think I just told him, I was like, you know, look at the survey or look at the Salesforce reporting system. You know, if you break it, you break it. That's, that just helps us you know, prepare <laughs> better. It, like, you know, yeah. by all means, go break it. <laughs> um, but, you know, but also, you know, and provide, you know, feedback on, you know, what we need to include into the survey, what might be beneficial for you and your teams. Uh, so that way you can see what your metrics are as well and turn it within your region. So I think you know, going about it that way, it's, it's coming at it from a field perspective. It helps tremendously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got to ask this because you're talking about like how to vet it. And we're talking about like some of the examples where you've used it. You mentioned Salesforce. I'm sure there's been others. Mm -hmm. Google Sheets, you mentioned Google Sheets, which is kind of the baseline here. We're all yeah. gonna... <laughs> um, but um, in terms of uh, different processes or, or seeing this over the last three or four years now, um, what is your kind of your pain points of you're like, oh, I just wish emergency managers or my senior staff or just other people would like, you just kind of like want to wrangle them and say like, this is what this is for. Like, where, where are your pain points coming in? What can we do better if we're listening to this episode? It's just convincing them. It's mm -hmm. a matter of getting them comfortable with the system and comfortable to this change. Because, you know, implementing technology is not a small feat in itself. This is potentially mm -hmm. you're looking at six months at a at a minimum and so when you're trying to i don't want to say sell or, or pitch these these systems to to people but when you're you just have to get the emergency management not only just the director on board but you have to get the staff on board you have to get you know the other unit leaders the analysts you know you have to get them on board so that way you're you know i this is the one phrase in emergency management that like always kind of like it's like the cringiest phrase but it's like the most meaningful phrase at the same time you know you have to go from a whole community standpoint. <laughs> it's it makes me cringe but it's like the most true statement you do have to look at it from a whole community perspective i'm interested to know why it makes you cringe because it makes me cringe for another reason but why does it make you cringe that's interesting I think just hearing it over and over in mm. Campfire and then at NISOM and then at FBEM, I think just hearing it over and over again, it just like, it just, I don't know, it just gives me like that cringy feeling. I feel the hair in my neck stand up. <laughs> I had a, I had a um, director, the director of our Georgetown program, speaking of Georgetown, second reference Georgetown, we need to sponsor this show eventually, but um, the, uh, the director, she just, he, she hated the term whole community. And I, I think it's for multiple reasons. Like in our company in Doberman, we really focus on words, Matt, like we say words matter. Mm -hmm. And when you say whole community, 
what's the difference between a whole community and a community? Like, is there is there an inherent uh, feeling when you say community that some people are not involved? Like the the word in itself implies that there's all these people. And then we had a we had another guy on our show uh, fairly recently where um, I would say it was contentious, but it was like a fun it was like a fun argument because he was like basically saying emergency managers always say whole community, but they don't help out the whole community. They they help out specific stakeholders. And he was an emergency manager, like he does. He does more like um, he actually does tech with uh, preparedness. But it was like a really fascinating to like really think about these terms of we keep saying this. It's like the it's like my thing. Uh, so I'm going to call out specifically Austin Cruz here for a second. He he's had a great conversation. We had a great conversation offline about resiliency. He's a huge fan of resiliency, and um. I, obviously, I've I've kind of I wouldn't say belittled, but I've tried to put resiliency in its place in this podcast. He's like, "Hey, why are you always you know pushing back on resiliency?" I'm like, "Ooh, I'm not, but I don't think it should be the number one thing. I think the number one thing should be people becoming disaster tough, meaning mitigate where you can mitigate, make all the right decisions. Resiliency is a part of that." And so he was actually reminding me that I needed to work on my words and the way I was articulating it. Because obviously resiliency has a huge place, but we don't want to have to people to be resilient. We want to be able to stop it from happening eventually. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just a it's a great conversation to figure out like what are what are our cringeworthy words. In fact, I would be very fascinated to know. I'm talking too long here, but are from the audience is there cringeworthy terms that just drive you nuts? I would love to see that in the comments uh, of uh, you know of this episode. That'd be really fun uh, discussion, actually. I, I would too. I, you know, I'm pretty sure we'll see you know a one team one fight in there. <laughs> <laughs> one team one fight. Every disaster is different. Oh my gosh, that one that one drives me crazy. Then the everything starts and ends locally, which is true, but it's also that I'm pretty sure that's going to be in there as well. That's hilarious. It is. It is true, and yet it's like, uh, come on. Um, because not everybody who responds responds locally and they still have a place. Yeah. One one thing that I've been trying to, I wouldn't say quietly, but like one thing that I've been addressing is like first responder. I actually am okay with the term. When I say first responder, it means fire, police, EMS, USAR. Like that's your first responders. I really don't, it really drives me nuts when people are like, the real first responder is your neighbor. They're like, can we not, can we not do that? Like that's, they're professionals. Can we not say the professionals the same thing as the amateur who runs into a house and trips and breaks their ankle? Can we like not say these are the same thing? But at the same time, it's also again words matter. Like you're saying first responder. What does that mean? So like I think there's that we have to like start attacking like what this is. And in the same in the same vein, first responder versus you know um, emergency manager. Mm-hmm. Most emergency managers don't manage. They, yeah. they don't even have the authority to manage. They coordinate, So, which I've said a few times on this podcast. So it's really interesting like w- how the words or the terms were developed in our field. This would be a good analytical uh, uh, essay of like how it developed and, and why it was articulated um, and, and getting back to like what what is the message that we're using in the field that may uh be misnomers or maybe even inappropriate to our counterparts who are not uh, familiar with our language like how can we communicate better with other people 
and we're off the rails at this point. But I, it's just really fascinating. Yeah, I think you hit the, the nail on the head for what emergency management is. I think we're big, we're big on communications because we do a lot of that interagency communication between yeah. the first responders, like EMS, fire, police, and uh, USAR, and then to the other agencies that necessarily don't do the first responders. So you know, during COVID, you know, the or even during initial re- initial recovery efforts, you know. You look at the Department of Transportation to do, you know, road clearings after a disaster. You look at Department of Health. You look at our private and nonprofit um, people. So, you know, that's what I love about emergency management. We're in that quasi, you know, we're not first responders, but we are activated when we need to be activated. And then we're, you know, we're coordinating with all the other elements that necessarily don't understand our jargon, as you've said, but we can help communicate, you know, what they're saying to the first response, and then for us as emergency managers, trying to figure out, okay, what what did he say again? Um, yeah, exactly. Like being that bridge. Um, yeah, that's it's really interesting thinking about the words matter thing because I've been saying that emergency managers are a part of emergency services, mm-hmm. you know, first responders, emergency managers, humanitarian, all all in emergency services, and um, I, I've been like thinking about how, why why it might not appear as as so and i think it's because there's some people in our field who want to take emergency out of emergency manager and like they don't think we should be in response well hello that's (laughs) what are we here for yeah what are we here for good point yeah that's like the job and all all the other things that are surrounding response is to reduce the need for response so it means that response is still the number one thing that we had to think about. So again, whether you don't have a response or reduce the impacts in response, or you can get to recovery as fast as possible after a response, that's the, that's the hub. Everything else is a spoke for sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. Okay. This has been, this is a, this was a a fun turn in the conversation. So I I agree. It was definitely a fun, uh, a fun little uh, segue too. (laughs) Yeah. So in terms of, so you mentioned the gaps, let's close with the positive note, right? What are the wins if you're going to make a pitch to emergency managers? You kind of we started the episode a little bit with this. Now that we're like diving into a little bit deeper, if I'm an emergency manager listening to David right now, what is my reason knowing that it's going to be more cost? It's complex to include it. Um, I like the way it's always been done. All those things. What is the pitch to uh, look at analytics and and more technologies and in, into the process? You know, yes. Yeah. So as our peers, and when I say our peers, I mean first response, uh, first responders, and military and intelligence. You know, mm-hmm. they're evolving with the times, and they're evolving with their threats that they have to face. So as emergency managers within the emergency services or public safety realm, we also have to evolve with our threats and with you know uh, different climates that are coming about the hazardous wildfires that are coming along, you know, the 2020 season, Mm. 2021 season was just devastating for the West. And so, you know, we also have to evolve with our disasters as well. And that's through the technology framework, a technology driven solution. So that way we can relieve our planning sections, our operation sections with not having to deal with deciphering hand notes or understanding Mm. what's what's going on at the field level, you know, we can just pop open our computer and just see, okay, here's what's going on. Here's how it's going. And here's the decisions I need to make for today. And it really helps provide that sort of agenda for us in, in terms of our marching orders. Is there a technology you have not used that you were like, 
that either you've not heard of or there's like this magical technology out there that you were like, oh, I wish we, is there like some capability you you think that we're missing? Like, what is that? Do you think about that? Yes. Honestly, for me, like the one technology I would have loved to work with and I'm calling them out because I just, I've heard some very positive things about them. It's Salamander. I think Salamander, you know, Salamander they deal a lot with asset management and credentialing. For mm. me as a planning section guy and, and former resource and DMOB guy, um, you know, it within their credentialing system, you know, if you scan this little barcode that's on someone's ID, it shows mm -hmm. you their qualifications, their former trainings, and then former response operations, whether it be an emergency manager or, you know, wild and fire personnel that you're checking in. So mm -hmm. I think that salamander technology is like something I would have loved to, to work with. Interesting. Well, you might in the future. I, I would like to I'll make a quick caveat. Salesforce, Salamander, and Georgetown are not sponsors of the show. These are just like, <laughs> honest opinions. So yeah, it's uh, it's uh, pretty cool to think about. Actually, maybe we'll reach out and maybe talk to them about how that could that could uh, benefit the field. David, uh, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to talk with me today. We kind of went off the rails a little bit, but it was kind of a fun uh, fun tangent to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I, had a, I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for the audience sake, David and I talked, uh, I, I would say that we started the conversation about the need for analytics, the, the purpose of and the place of technologies and words mattering. I, I really think I, I really want to know people's like cringeworthy words and maybe even replacement for those words of what you do in the field. Let us know in the comments below on one of the disaster tough channels, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, or uh, LinkedIn. We post all the time on all those channels. We'd love to see in the comments. If you have a comment specifically for David or a question, make sure you put it in the comments below so that everybody can see these uh, questions so we can answer as a community. If you have something sensitive, of course, you can send us an email at our new email address. It's contact at thereadinesslab.com and we can pass it on to David. Otherwise, if you like this episode, you got to give us that five-star rating and subscribe so we know it was a good one. And we'll see you for the next week.